Like, I didn't realize how close you were to Big Door. Oh yeah, You're right right across the the way here. Oh yeah, that was um that was I had a gig there, uh, s- uh Saturday actually. So okay, I was just just down here. So nice. yeah, yep. volumes are good. We'll go ahead and do it. Uh, welcome to Georgia Songbirds. We are here with Mr. Hughes Taylor. Introduce yourself, Hughes. I'm I'm Hughes. It's a, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me on, and um, I've been looking forward to this. Me too. I, I, I first heard you when we did the uh, countdown. Right. And then I saw you around Woodstock and stuff too, yeah. and I love blues music. So uh, we were just talking. You were at the Big Door Saturday. Yes. Yeah. I was right 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 down the street. <laughs> and for guys that know that Big Door is Big Door Vineyards. And I was there Valentine's Day, so I probably, I guess it was Sunday. Mm. Me and my wife went down there, and I don't drink wine. Right. But, you know, it's so close to the house. I can walk home if she gets too drunk <laughs> nice. or if I get too drunk. Or she wanted to get, like, a golf cart and go over there and, like, hey, let's just drink. And I was like, be my guest. Have a good time. Very cool. Yeah, it's a, it's a cool place. I um I have a pretty decent crowd anytime I play there, too, which is awesome for a vineyard. Yep. A lot of people coming in. Now they, I know they put you inside. Do you mm-hmm. do your electric stuff in there too, or I mean, yeah? I, my, what I usually do for a solo set, a, a solo show, is I, I play um, electric through my. I have a, a Boss uh, multi effects pedal okay. thing, um, and uh, I just plug that straight into my PA system, went into my mixer, and, and into my PA system with backing tracks. Okay, and um, that's how I usually play for solo shows and things like that now you have a band too right do you have a yes band? yeah the the hughes taylor band most of the time my drummer recently has been uh jonathan benton who he played uh he played with me several years ago 2000 um 2015 16 something like that okay. he was my drummer and then he moved to california he moved back home to california and um i didn't see him for a little while picked up a new drummer um selena and then Jonathan moved back and it just it's one of these weird things of of inner inner you know changing musicians and stuff uh and so that's, that's hard to do because I try, try to get one drummer you found three yeah right right um well it's it's really really interesting after Jonathan uh moved um I had uh I, I met um Selena Corbin was my drummer. We were introduced through a mutual friend, played a show one time. And I had, between Jonathan and Selena, I had just whoever I could find to come play drums in whatever area I was. So if I was playing in Macon, I would call a list of people and say, hey, I'm playing at this place on this date. Can you come and play? And it's been one of those things. It was like that for a really long time. And I had a guy who was supposed to be playing with me at a show in Dahlonega. And um, he at the like a week before the show dropped out and was like I, I i'm not gonna be able to do it so i had to now i was scrambling mm-hmm. and um selena and i actually had a class together we had sort of met you know because of our, our mutual friend who introduced us and um, i came to class the next day and i said hey uh do you, do you have any interest in playing a show with me this weekend or next weekend or something like that and she goes Sure. So um, I had her over and we rehearsed some stuff. And then from then on, she was my drummer for for a long time. Uh, 2019, moved to Tennessee, I think, is, I think okay. it was 2019. When she moved, my bassist, who I've been playing with, Nate, trying to make sure I get my story straight here. <laughs> it kind of goes together as you get yeah. older. I mean, you don't look very old, so... Right. <laughs> When you get my age, so, and it, it, it kind of stories start blending. Like I've been married twice, so sometimes I get mad at my wife for something she didn't even do. So <laughs> it happens. So, 
So 2019, when Selena moved to Tennessee mm-hmm. to get her master's, um, Nate's girlfriend played drums and we we were practicing for a show. We had her come play. And then she was my drummer from that point up until March last year. The and she, I mean, they, they still are. As soon as we're able to play yeah. the three of us together, I want to go back on and play together. But um, anyway, the two of them, Nate and Adriana, they're an awesome duo because they're, they're dating, they live together and they're super familiar with each other's styles and things. Yeah. So it's, and I, I am, um, I am pretty strictly a guitar player and nothing else. I mean, I, it's not necessarily true, but for the most part, when it comes to like anything, music theory or understanding, um, how other parts of music kind of come together, mm-hmm. I know what I want and I know the sounds that I want. And when I'm mixing or producing or recording right. or things like that, I can, make it happen but when it comes to trying to really relay that information and articulate okay yeah i want it like this it doesn't make any sense to somebody who's who hasn't been around me for very long right so um nate was really good the two of them actually were really good at like okay i kind of want it like this nate would say okay he wants this style beat and then Adriana would be like, oh, okay, and then do it like this. And then, or I could tell Adriana, you know, and when it, it, they, anyway, they had this way of talking to each other and um, getting my information that is just as confusing as it is right now to you <laughs> and uh, no, getting it across. I'm, I'm the guitar, me, I do rhythm guitar, and I can play a little bit of bass, but I do like I write the songs, and I'm, that's, if I was to arrange it, it would be horrible because I was always bad with time because I'm playing the guitar and I'm writing, I'm, and I, people have heard this podcast, have heard the story. I've always been horrible with time because I, I can't count my head while I'm playing or it screws me up. So I'm like, oh, okay. If I start, then I better not be singing too because it's going to be like way off the rails. But if I hear a drum beat, then I know where I, I'm going. Right. So I understand what you're trying to say about the, the looping around and trying to figure it because you hear it one way and I don't know music theory. I mean, yeah. I'm self-taught. So I couldn't tell you where to go, you know, the seventh or suspended, whatever. I don't know all that stuff. I'm just going to like, that sounds right. Mm-hmm. Do it that way. Yeah, yeah. There's a, there's a lot of that going on. I and um, playing with Nate, especially playing with Nate um, for the past three years or something up until last year. He he has really helped me um, navigate that uh, that sort of theory sort of thing. Yeah. He, he's he's he, you know he's played music his entire life, so I think his whole family's musical and stuff. And he kind of just as we were playing together would teach me things like this is called that or go to this. It would sound better if you go to this chord because, right. you know, and um, he really helped me with that. It's and, funny how that works. Yeah, it? and I've been developing that a lot this past year, too. Um, but anyway, to get back on my, what is the Hughes-Taylor band? Uh, um, after quarantine happened and I wasn't able to play with Nate and Adriana and, and I, you know, as unfortunate as it was, I was extremely fortunate in that um, Jonathan was back in town and ready to play right um ben i haven't introduced ben yet um ben is a, a an awesome bass player and an amazing person in macon who i played with uh as part of the highway 41 band okay so um that was sort of a that's not my band but they invited me to play with them and i kind of became a standing part like i, I get you know um, but I got really familiar with them. Ben and I became really close uh, to over the past several years, us playing in the Highway 41 band. Mm-hmm. And then um, when I started doing any Hughes Taylor band things, he just 
picked right up and because we did a few of my original stuff with the highway 41 band okay. and so he was already familiar with that and he just just picked it right up and then this past year it has mostly been jonathan and ben as my band okay and um and they've been they're just they're they're so good uh so it's been a really really cool um uh but different version of the Hughes Taylor band this past year. Uh, and then I also have another drummer in Macon, um, who was also part of the highway 41 band. Um, his name is Greg Sassaman. And, uh, so he and Ben have played together for years. They, they are really, really familiar with each other. So, um, I've been really lucky in that in any version of the, the, the band that I've had over the past so many years, my musicians that, that played with me are just, they're they're so good. They just jump right in. Now you keep saying Macon. Are you from Macon? Originally, yes. Okay. Yes, I'm from Macon. I live in Dahlonega. Oh wow. Um. So it's but I spend my time between the two places. I, I mean, I'm in Macon almost every weekend of night, every other weekend, mm-hmm. sort of thing. So it's I pretty much split my time between the two places. When I was first born, I lived in Putnam County. Okay. So I know yeah. it's close to Macon. Yes. So you have to go through Putnam to get to Macon from here. Yeah. So. I was like five when we moved out of there, so I haven't been to South Georgia in forever. Okay. So how long have you been playing, Hughes? I have been playing, uh, this is my 13th year officially playing. Okay. Like really, um, I, I picked up the guitar when I was around seven or so, but uh, I, I usually claim that 12 years old was when I started, really started. Okay. Because um, that was when I got serious about it and wanted to, start playing live and performing and that sort of thing so, so you don't so. look old enough to be playing for 13 years, yeah. <laughs> but that shows because i've seen a couple of your videos playing and i like said you were in the countdown and it, you're an amazing guitarist thank you thank you i i appreciate that i really do um yeah i i i love telling the story of how i started playing i i was so I was 12. I had been familiar with the with the guitar. My uncle had a guitar, um, and every time we'd go and see him, they live in North Carolina. Every time we'd go and see them, he would um, show me a couple things. Mm-hmm. So he's the one who kind of taught me how to hold it and to. Um, it didn't really take long for me to be comfortable with moving okay. on the guitar, um, because he he laid that foundation for me, and he kind of taught me uh, the beginner's riffs. So he taught me "Sunshine of Your Love" and "Smoke on the Water" and "Iron Man" and those, you know, those <laughs> those one one note or one string right. riffs that you can do as a beginner. And after that, so I had that foundation going, and every time I'd go up there, I just played those three songs over and over. Uh, when I was twelve. We had some. We had a family friend, Keith Williams, who lives in, who lives in Macon. Played at this restaurant called the Shamrock every week, and uh, so every Tuesday we would I would do anything I could to go and see him, like find a ride with a, another relative or something. Mm-hmm. That my family didn't want to go, but we'd see him every week, and he played um, very similar to what I do now. Um, he played with backing tracks, but uh, he played bass with his feet. So really, he was playing with a drum machine and then played bass with his feet, and he wow. built the track himself sort of thing while uh-huh. playing. It was just so cool watching him play. And um, he just just something clicked. I was around 12 years old. I said, I want to I start doing that. I want to play. And he said, okay. And um, in the middle of a set, he got a, like, a little cocktail napkin and drew a G chord chart on mm-hmm. it and taught me how to read it. And um, sent me home with it. And the next week I came back and he gave me another one. It was a D chord. And he sent me back. Every week I got a new chord and I practiced them enough until I learned them solidly enough to come up and play with them. And I had my first 
live performance playing guitar when I was 12 years old, and I said, uh, that's what I want to do. Wow. That's, that's a that's, cool story. Now, you started on electric, I assume, right? It's not like you started yeah. on electric. Okay. Yes, it was It was both. Um, um, my dad had a, uh, a Les Paul, um, an Epiphone Les Paul, which I still play. I, I named it Lessie. That's, mm-hmm. that's what I still play to this day on every record. But uh, he he gave that one to me when I expressed interest in playing. He said, there, there you go learn on this so that was my first guitar but he also had an acoustic guitar that um i was advised to learn on so when i learned my chords i I was i think it might have been even keith or someone said learn your chords on the acoustic guitar and it'll be easier to transfer over to electric and and i so i i went between the two a lot but it was i was almost always a an electric oriented player yes i always heard it was easier for electric because it's easier to hold the strings down right so like a, my, the first guitar I played on was an old uh, Yamaha. I got it in there to show you. Like the neck is like almost as thick as my hand. Mm-hmm. You know, so you're trying to learn how to play on an old Yamaha country yes. acoustic guitar. Yeah. It's like, oh, this hurts. But, you know, you get to learn it. And Once I, you learn it, you can go play on electric. No problem. Oh, yeah. yeah. I'd, play, I'd play till my fingers would bleed. I would just play and play and play. And yep. they're so sore. I had to wait a couple of days. And then I'd come back yep. and play some more. Oh, man. Yeah. My fingers still bleed. <laughs> <laughs> play long enough. See, I'm just now learning pentatonic stuff. Because I've always been, I said, rhythm. So I've never really learned the lead stuff. Now right. I, can do, I can do Smoke on Water because that one, sure. everybody learns that one. And I can do a little bit of Stairway to Heaven. So I've always been intrigued on, on electric guitar players when they do the riffs. And you may not know theory, but you probably know how to tell me how you do it. Like, when you're doing a song, do you go through like the minor pentatonic? Do you do a major pentatonic? Does it, does it depend on the key of the song? So, and it's getting I, nerdy in this conversation, guys. I know, but I'm I'm always curious about this stuff. I actually, uh, to a fault, almost exclusively play the minor pentatonic scale. Okay. Um, it's, I mean, I have been really trying to get out of that over the past like three years. After after hear my melody, you listen to anything on hear my melody, mm-hmm. and it's only minor pentatonic. There's there is no variation, and then um, I really tried getting out of that playing a a little bit of variety Uh um in my other stuff and i'm at a point now where i'm i'm trying to force myself to make a to make as as few major pentatonic notes sound as good as possible in Uh whatever situation i'm in okay because i have always traditionally done as many minor pentatonic notes as i can and make them sound good and right. and so it's sort of i'm forcing myself to learn other stuff and, and do that but to answer your question uh mostly minor pentatonic okay. is what i do because um, right now i think i'm really good with a minor pentatonic i'm learning e minor pentatonic yeah. now so but i mean it, uh, it seems a lot of it goes hand in hand anyway you just got to know where to go on right on well you can and i do major pen, major and minor pentatonic just you know the the e minor pentatonic scale is almost exactly the same it is the same as the g major pentatonic scale okay it just depends on where you start the root so um you can i can play the e minor pentatonic scale at, over a g major song and it sound the exact same as if i were trying to play um the g major pentatonic scale over a g major song right. so it's there those those notes are in the same scale it's just where you land on that root note yeah. um and and I I'm probably not making somebody who actually knows theory is like he doesn't know 
anything. You know what? It doesn't matter if you know it or not. If you guys listen to this man play, I said it doesn't matter. He can play it. So you don't need. I think the best people, the best musicians, are those that don't know theory because they they go by their ear and what sounds right. And yeah, they're gonna make mistakes and they're gonna figure it out. But you know what? That's kind of the journey of it, anyways, to figure it out. So I don't think yeah. anybody who's like, "Oh, that's not how you do it." Whatever, go to hell. Who cares? Yeah. Man, get up here and show us then. Yeah, I had a I had played with a guy um, who told me one time, you know, I, I had that I had that same sort of uh, idea that for for me, I have I have tried to learn to read music. I have mm-hmm. tried to kind of get into some some theory type things early early on in my learning right. to play, and every time I did, it totally it in the, in a very negative way affected the way that I was doing things already. It takes a passion because I had I had this doing it by ear and what intuitively sounds good, right? So right. if I was if I play 100% on instinct to me it worked better than trying to put a technical right if I do this it works. And um so I just sort of dropped trying to learn any technical things and just stuck with my intuition because I I only had the one scale to work off of, but mm-hmm. I was putting that to everything and just trying to go only on intuition. And then I played with this guy um who's just one of the most insane drummers I've ever met. It just in in a good way insane. I mean, he's just so good. Yeah. Uh like anyway, um, I don't even know if if should mention his name or not. But yeah, if you uh, want to, go ahead. Like I said, anybody want to, I, I don't care. That that doesn't bother me. I tell people if you got people to shout out to places that help you, absolutely do. They should be. Gotcha. So I play with this guy. His name is Nick Wiles. Okay. And I've he, heard that name. He's out of Athens, okay. and he just just so awesome to watch because he plays all the other instruments too. But to play, watch him play drums is really fun. But anyway, he was he told me one time. I, I told him my. Theory. He said he told me I need to learn theory and technical things. He said you you just it's something you really need to do. And I and I told him my explanation of you know I playing the way I do. And he goes, it's wonderful. You already have your instinct. You have your intuition. You play on it. That's great. Learn the technical stuff now because you can now add that to like a. It's basically a toolbox, mm-hmm. right? So you're you're doing your intuitive thing. You're doing everything based off instinct. But then something kind of feels like you maybe needs to be different. You now know how to go to doing something different if you if you add that to your thing. So, so um, th- and ever since that conversation, actually, I've been really trying to work on adding a few things here and there. Um, so, but he, uh, yeah, he he kind of like it didn't make me feel bad, but was kind of like, no, you need to. It's, yeah, you, you're at advice. a point now. Add it. Yeah. You know. It, I guess it, it helps because you're getting a bad habit, like you said, of yeah. just staying in a minor. Pentatonic Exa- and not exactly. I'm not nothing. Sounds fine. Variation, loves it, yeah. But you know, you you want to branch out and do it the right way and see if you can add your flair. Because, like I said, for for reading music, I think the problem is if you rely on reading music solely, it it takes some of the passion away because you're following everything to a letter. So you're not really feeling what you're doing. Yeah. So, but if you hear it or you you change it and you go by what you feel. Because, I mean, I'll do cover songs, and I'll change them because I don't like the way it sounds. Yeah, I could go to this, the seventh, or whatever they call it, but it doesn't sound right to me. It right. sounds better if I do this. Plus, it sounds, or maybe it just sounds bad when I do it that way, <laughs> and that might be the problem. And, and, but I I see, I mean, I got what you're saying, too. Yeah. You know, it's, it's just a, and, and anyway, what he said was, it was really good advice. You know, now yeah. that I, I have, I rely on my instincts anyway to be able to know where I can go to make it, to enhance it in any way would oh, be yeah. helpful, you know, instead of playing the same 
sort of putting the same thing on every every song that I do. And so yeah. anyway, after he said that was that was like three, two two years ago, three years ago, something like that. But um so I've been really trying to work on it and, and I think in some of my newer stuff I'm I'm getting there. I'm getting to where I it's not the same thing over and over. But Yeah. Now all all the gigs you're playing, are you doing mainly cover still or are you getting to do more of your original? It's kind of a um it's kind of a split. I whenever I do and it's like when I played a big door just just this weekend mm-hmm. um it was a solo set and when I do these solo things it's mostly covers but there were enough people there for me that I ended up playing maybe I mean if I played there 3 hours I probably played an hour and 20 minutes of original music yeah. sort of thing which was really cool uh it's traditionally whenever I do solo things it's been mostly covers and whenever I do band things it's been mostly originals right. um and that's been changing recently it's been a lot of i still do the strictly cover gigs every now and then but um most of the time i play i get at least an hour of original music in anywhere and then we've got uh, a couple shows this weekend coming up um i'll be doing an acoustic like uh, a a listening room show Mm -hmm. at rootstock in woodstock i didn't know they had a uh, listening room there i know they put every time i see them they got everybody on the stairs right it's I I actually don't know where I'm gonna be playing, but they they close the the restaurant to a list. You have to buy tickets to oh, do okay. the listening room, so it be, they turn it to a listening room. That'd af- be cool after a certain time. Um, I and I'm not sure where in the restaurant I'm gonna be playing, but anyway, I'm excited for it because I don't ever play acoustic. First off, mm-hmm. uh, and I really love listening room shows because I'm gonna do all original music. Um, people are paying to come see me play original music and talk about my music which right. is another thing um that you know I, when i play the mellow mushroom nobody there is wanting to hear me say so this <laughs> song was inspired by this and right. i did this to get the sound and all these nobody i mean there are people that care i'm not saying nobody cares but right. for the most part the people that are drinking at the bar are like why the music stop who's talking you know like <laughs> yeah I'll, see I'll, so, now i'm i'm a songwriter too so i tell stories so right when i'm on a bar like i got one a song about a one night stand i always yeah. tell everybody it's a one night stand with a nun just to watch their reaction because i know if they're paying attention <laughs> right right because i had a lady spit her drink one time and went down her shirt <laughs> that's so funny. that's good no i I'm, I'm making a generalization because there are some songs like anytime I play promise, I always introduce it, that it is a song I wrote for my wife mm-hmm. and it's dedicated to my wife. We had our first dance to it. I mean, it doesn't matter if I'm playing to a hundred people who paid to see me or if there's five people on the other end of the, in the room that right. are watching TV and are wanting me to turn down. It doesn't matter. That's, there are songs that I'm very, it means a lot to me, the story of it. So I'm going to say it. Um, but when it comes to these listening room type shows like at Rootstock, mm-hmm. I'm excited for it because they're there to actually learn about the yeah. songs itself, you know, and that's that's really cool. Um, and then we're playing at Mad Life on March 3rd, okay, and that'll be with a band. And so, we're, again, we're going to do mostly all original music, but uh, that's going to be a big show with the lights and, I like and Mad stuff. Life. It's going to be a fun one. They got a great venue. Well, let's hear one of your songs. Let's hear okay. One. Uh, what are you doing here first? Uh, your choice. You know, acoustic or electric doesn't matter. Well, I mentioned promise. Let's do promise. Okay. Tell everybody what is about your wife. We heard that part. So, like I said, I'm I'm sorry too. So I like I like the stories. I'm a story listener, storyteller. So I want to hear the story behind it before you play it. And I'll put this mic down while you do that. So uh, this song 
I I wrote it before we got married. Um, it was actually sort of as a, a, a birthday present for her. I, I wanted it to, I wanted to surprise her with a, with a new song, but it was before we got married, and I wrote it with the intent to actually dance with her at our wedding. So um, I wanted it to be our first dance as a married couple, and and um, this was you know months before we got married, of course, or uh, a year before we got married. Anyway, it was before we got married. And uh, when we got married, this was the, the song we had our first dance to. And it every time I play it, it's for her, and it means a lot to me. All right, so this is Promise. And as always, it's dedicated to my beautiful wife, Evie. Such a love Like the one we share
Just as long as you promise to love me And I'll promise you just the same Just as long as you promise to love me And I'll promise you just the same. That was good. I liked that. Thank I, you. I love all blues stuff anyway though. Thank you very much. I um it's rare that I'm I'm I play just a guitar and sing too so it's hard for me not to want to fill that space you know right oh yeah who influences you, you kind of got like a john mayerish sound wow okay thank you i that's uh that's i don't know that that's ever been at the i don't think i've heard that one yet i think so it's just cool, the, but, the maybe it's that but, song yeah. is the, it's the I, did, I hear it it's kind of a john mayerish thank sound you. to it i um I don't know that he's so much an influence, uh, but Stevie Ray Vaughan, who is one of his oh, wow. biggest influences, is definitely one of my biggest influences. So I, I, um, I definitely appreciate that Stevie connection. Stevie Ray Vaughan there, was killer. Stevie, I mean, yeah, Stevie was my. He's probably my biggest uh, of of all of them. Um, and then of course Hendrix is you know is right up there too. Yeah, that, um, I'm. I wonder, and I was thinking about as you said that there's got to be like a guitarist tree. Yeah, and you, you like see how many people just the branches of of like Steve Ray Vaughan and Jimmy. Well, I'm, I'm curious the number of how many people they. Yeah, they it's it's really interesting. I, I that you say that. That's how I kind of. So I, when I started really learning to play around twelve and stuff, mm -hmm. I was introduced to Steve Ray Vaughan when I was about. 13 okay. so so i had I had my chords i had my foundation i was just just in the towards the end of seventh grade mm -hmm. um and my my dad's one of my dad's uh longest oldest oldest friends um norris tapley everybody called him tap um who uh sadly he he took his own life uh a couple of years ago and so it's it's a tragic because he was such an amazing person but he he introduced me to steve ray vaughn and the blues, Eric Clapton, and all these other things, but but specifically right. Stevie Ray Vaughan because he, um, he gave me a uh, box set of Stevie Ray Vaughan, everything that was ever released, and everything that wasn't. I mean, it was it was just a complete wow, every single thing, with the exception of some bootleg shows here and there, but like everything that Stevie Ray Vaughan ever recorded, or um you know some unfinished songs that didn't that weren't recorded i don't know how he got how it was all together but anyway he gave that to me and i went through that thing and obviously it took me a long time but mm. every song and another thing he gave me was a uh dvd sorry he gave me a concert on dvd the Mon the live at montreal 80 81 and 85 mm. or 82 and 85 anyway 
I watched those things religiously. I watched them over and over, and I watched what he did and how he did it and played behind his back and his head and the the showmanship and how he moved on stage while he yeah. was playing. I mean, I just studied those things religiously and realized that um, when I was... I, it, did never, it never sounded right when I was playing with him because I wasn't standard tuning. I didn't realize he was a half-step down, so that's when I learned about half-step down tuning and all that stuff. Uh, coincidentally, I was already playing size 12 strings, and you know he played 13s and I but um, I was playing really thick gauge strings just because I kept breaking them mm-hmm. and every time I broke them I was like well I must need a thicker string so I would put not knowing any better at 13 um, I ended up putting like acoustic guitar strings on my Strat because I kept breaking the electrics I'm like something's wrong here um, turns out you can kind of relieve some of that if you fix the saddle on your guitar okay <laughs> see yeah i didn't know that either. <laughs> but, i always break picks that's what but see i get lighter picks because so because i know i'm gonna strum really hard so instead of breaking the strings i'll break the picks i just carry a bunch of picks with me on stage. gotcha i uh but yeah anyway i so i i got so used to playing thick strings i still play these are 11s i think on this guitar but i which is not that bad but um i still play 12s on one of mine back home Anyway, uh, learned about the half step down tuning and, and all that stuff. And, and so tap introducing me to Steve Ray Vaughan is what set me on my, my path for what I play. You know, right. I, obviously all being from Macon, all my brothers and, oh, yeah. and, um, Leonard Skinner was another big one. In fact, one of my favorite guitar players was Steve Gaines, uh, of Leonard Skinner. Mm-hmm. He's, he's right up there with, with, um, not so much as influences, which I, I wish I could play the way he did, um, or at least figure out some of the things that he was doing. There's not a lot of, there's not a lot on that, you know, like mm-hmm. you can go to any YouTube video or any website and it says how to play Steve Ravon licks or Jimi Hendrix licks, oh, yeah. Eric Clapton, like because they're so popular. There's not a lot on how Steve, how Steve Gaines played, you know, cause he had such a, he had such a very short amount of time on mm-hmm. this earth to make music. And, and so it really is unfortunate, but he's one of my favorites. David Gilmore is another really big, one of my favorites, but, um, the point I was getting to is that, uh, specifically with Steve Ray Vaughan, when I started really learning everything that he did, I kind of wanted to know where he got it from. And so Albert King was his biggest influence. It was his almost mentor, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, he had tons of influences to, you know, um, uh, like Freddie King and, and all these other guys. Jimi Hendrix is a huge influence oh, on yeah. Stevie and all that. But, um, but the lineage is really cool to kind of go back and look because Stevie was really most heavily sonically influenced by Albert King. And there's not a lot like Albert King. Albert King doesn't have very much of a lineage from who he learned from because right. he played left-handed, you know, right, a right-handed guitar upside down. And he, and he pulled, he pulled the strings. None of his guitars were tuned and standard. It was all very interesting, weird tuning. Yeah. So he sonically, you can hear a lot of what T-Bone Walker did and what Albert King does. But as far as how he played, he kind of had his own unique thing. But if you look at T-Bone Walker and where T-Bone Walker got his stuff, you know, that Texas, he was that first Texas electric blues showman type mm-hmm. thing, you know. And then, you know, um, that lineage is really fun to trace. Uh, if you, because you look at like, uh, like I said, one of my other influences, Eric Clapton. No, I love Clapton. Well, early Eric Clapton stuff, Cream is one of my favorite bands. Yes. They're, they're one of my all-time favorite bands just they're I, I would, white I have all probably the, one of my favorite songs of all time they're just so they're so good um jack bruce is just an amazing bass player mm-hmm. and his voice is just so like so confident but and it's 
it, it feels so he's, he makes it sound so easy when mm-hmm. he sings it's just really cool uh and then ginger baker the way he plays drums like any of his stuff on blind faith that blind faith album and, and i'm just yeah. he's just that cream is just such an awesome band but eric clapton before cream and if you listen to john mail album the blues breaker album that um you know that's kind of the first time clapton started to have his own sound because mm-hmm. before that he was playing straight up freddie king licks i mean it was in a hideaway he pretty much plays it just like freddie king did but um before that album anything from the yardbirds like the sunny boy williamson and the yardbirds album that i have i was listening to that he i mean he's pretty much it's like or in bb king before that he was just playing bb king licks oh yeah that's all he was doing was just playing bb king stuff so his his lineage is super obvious when you listen to his early stuff but then he kind of made it his own his own thing um and then you get hendrix who was just such an innovator that it's hard to trace back his influences Mm -hmm. you know it's like he was just doing such new stuff well, with um, left-handed, you kind of have to. Well, yeah. I mean, it just makes so much noise and, and really cool stuff. But um, but it is fun to trace back lineages based on, you know, who they listen to Kenny Wayne Shepard, and he's pretty much a Steve Ray Vaughan clone with Oh, yeah, does, I remember you know? him. It, it, um, who was that other guy who came out with? Um, this Kenny, Johnny Lang. Johnny Lang. Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, but, you know, if some, some of these other guys like uh, – I'm drawing a blank right now. I, I see my but, my tree is like like what I love is a Clapton, got Santana. I love Santana. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a different whole style. Different. That's a whole different type of music theory. I looked. I was looking into it and the way they they can put the chords together, and then of course Hendrix is is always up there. And I like I love Joe Walsh. I'm a big mm. Eagles fan. Yeah. Joe Walsh is just amazing to me. That's a that's a one that's got to be like right in there. That's really yeah. He's he's he's. He was the best part about the, my first concert was the Eagles concert. Oh wow! And uh, he now was the expensive best part to go to it. <laughs> um, I actually don't. It was a birthday present uh, when I was ten years old. So okay. I was I ten? No, might have been a little older. That was your first concert that you went to, or yeah, did you remember? That was my first concert that I think that was my first big concert. Okay. Yeah. Um, I had I had gone and seen little. I don't really consider some like bar gigs concerts yeah. you know so it was my first ticketed concert we sat in the it was piedmont park okay. in atlanta but um that was my first concert joe walsh was the best part about it the oh, whole yeah. the whole thing was just he was he just stole the show the whole time but yeah that the, he's great um like i said david gilmore is another one of my really big influences um his double bends over bending and things like that something i have incorporated over the past few years in, in my own music yeah uh, just he just has such a. I I can't really think of anyone who has. That much control, uh, that over their mm-hmm. over the plant over the the notes. I mean, he's not he's not the fastest technically. He doesn't right. want to be, and the music doesn't call for it either. Right, not the Van Halen going up there right. shredding everywhere. But he just he his his taste and his control and hitting those hitting the notes and the double bends and the the certain effect. I don't I don't use. It, it's interesting. He's one of my favorites. I don't use any effects except for I'll, I might use uh, either my Soul Food or Blues Driver pedal, okay. depending on the on the situation. Um, but it's rare that I use anything besides a little bit of reverb from the amp. Right. Otherwise, I would just plug straight into the amp. Uh, and then David Gilmer's got all these like tape delays and and certain yeah, like certain fuzzes and things like that. So crazy how they do that but, stuff. Um, but he just he's he's one of my favorites too. Uh, 
I could go on forever. Oh yes, yeah, I it. love stuff like this because <laughs> I mean it's so funny. Like people say, when you get any musicians and, and you know they write songs and they play like we do, but when you start digging into who influences, it's there's a lot of the similarities between everybody. Mm-hmm. You know, like now if you listen to guitarists, like I listen to a lot of country. Brad Paisley is an amazing guitarist. He doesn't get the credit he deserves. He is crazy good. Keith Urban's a good guitarist. You know, everybody's got their own style, and just to listen to them play and then like you can tell like when you're sitting there talking about guitar i can feel the passion coming from you because you're telling me oh and they did this and this and they mm-hmm. went here and and that to me shows that d- even if you didn't you talk about we talked about theory earlier you kept going back to theory you don't need to know theory you know yeah it helps it's another tool mm-hmm. and it can't it can't hurt you to know it but if you don't go by what you feel mm-hmm. then it's not going to matter because yeah. you can tell the same guys they started off learning somebody else's and then they started feeling it yeah exactly um that's, I don't remember who, who it was that said something, but nobody, nobody starts off trying to be their own musician. Right. Everybody starts off trying to play other people's music, mm-hmm. right? Unless you're, unless you're just some sort of prodigy that <laughs> like, like it's created out of the dust. You're learning someone else's stuff yeah. first before you can make it, do your own thing. Um, and, you know, it's really cool to hear certain styles that, that incorporate all these other influences, but yeah. you know it's that. Like John Mayer, for instance. You listen to John Mayer could play any guitar ever, and you know it's John Mayer. But you can hear the Hendrix influence. You can hear the Steve Ray Vaughan influence mm-hmm. in what he does, and you can hear like that. He is one absolutely made it his own, but it's all kind of you can hear where it came right. from, you know. Um, and the same with I mean the same with Stevie. He hits one note like on that <laughs> David Bowie album. He just hits that. On that Let's Dance song, but you know it's Stevie. There's no doubt about it. But he got his stuff from Albert King, and Mm -hmm. you know, and and a culmination of others. But uh, but it's just really, it's really cool how that works. Well, they they pass the torch. I mean, because you think about all the the music that's out there. You know, a lot of people, like you said, you're around 25, 26 years old, right? 25. Yeah. Then, you know, I'm 43 years old. So you're list- you were listening to some of the stuff that I grew up on, like the Eagles. I love Bad Company, stuff like that. Oh, yeah. But you got to think that the kids coming up now, I'll, I'll call them kids, but the kids coming up now, they're listening to more Mayer. They're they're being mm-hmm. influenced by somebody new that's coming up. I hear I hear John Mayer all the time when I talk to people. Yeah, and I guess I guess it fits because they don't go back to like the eighties and the seventies. Because eighty, the eighties was almost forty years ago. I just realized that, you know, because I'm forty three years old. I was like, holy shit, it's eighty. Wow, it's that's that's a long time. So I mean, even you go back to the BB King. How many people are actually gonna listen to BB King? I mean, he's like the godfather of blues yeah. anyway. So you should know him playing like a blues guitar. But you know, it's gonna be a matter of time before they stop listening to BB King and go to his prodigy and. So on and so on. Oh, I don't know about I don't know about BB King. It's he, gonna be a while. He might it be, won't be in my lifetime. He might be yes. one of those that that stays forever as you know as yep. the as the guy as the. the he blues should. Guy, he should. You know. Oh, absolutely. One hundred percent. He should. I just. But I I absolutely see what you're saying. Mm-hmm. You know, I most people don't go and listen to T Bone Walker, but they would know his licks mm-hmm. because of like because of some of the stuff John Mayer plays. You know, right. like because of that lineage. Um, not. I mean, that's a really bad example. But you know, I. Yeah, but it, it goes back because the same thing. Like I was like, uh, I was I did wrote a song about Robert Johnson. Mm-hmm. You know, so people are like, oh, who's Robert Johnson? It's the guy when he he went away for like a year and came back, and all of a sudden he knew how to play the guitar. Mm-hmm. So, oh, he sold his soul to the devil, right? To the blues. So I wrote a song about that because that's to me that's that was just guitarists for whatever reason always have this this 
intrigue about them, you know, because mm-hmm. you get on guitar, as soon as you, you hit that lick, all the panties drop. They're just like, oh, my God, there you are. You know, it, it happens. I've seen it happen with my guitars. You know, I try to get them to move forward. You got to get the showmanship. That's part of it. You know, you got to learn the licks. You got to play. But the showmanship, you ever seen School of Rock? Oh, absolutely. Oh, Jack Black that was, is hilarious. That was one of the factors of me getting into guitar at 12 years old was <laughs> was uh, was watching the the character Zach Mooney play these licks. And I was like, you know what? I bet I could do that. I yeah. wonder how many kids got influenced from that. <laughs> yeah. Because I wasn't a kid when it came on, but that movie influenced me. I love that movie. Mm-hmm. And Jack Black was just funny as oh, hell. He's the best. He is hilarious. I mean, that... Everybody gave him a hard time, but I, I love his. He's funny to me. He's just a oh, funny yeah. guy, and he can play absolutely. And tenacious, like his his yes. voice is amazing. When he does tenacious D stuff, I mean, I know yes. some of it's a joke, but it's a really good joke. Right. Like it's it's a very good quality piece of. I'm trying to learn tribute yeah. for the band so we can kind of do <laughs> tribute. <laughs> yeah, man. He did a cover with Jimmy Fallon of Extremes more than words. And he was being Jack Black and making a joke, but you're right, it sounded so good. Uh huh. He, he just he's yeah he's a and he's a he's just a phenomenal showman too. Mm-hmm. I mean that's yeah, but yeah yeah School of Rock that was another one of the influences in my middle school years of I can do this if those right. kids are doing it, I can do it because I was already interested I wanted to do it and I wanted to learn those chords and that movie came out I I think that movie came out right around the time that I was mm-hmm. expressing interest anyway. And so it just was like a boost. <laughs> See, now for me, it was like, man, if those kids can do it, why am I not doing it the right way? I got to learn to do it the right way. <laughs> well, let's hear another song. Here's what you want to okay. play. Um, well, let's see. Let's do something acoustic. I don't ever play acoustic. All right. I can leave the microphone on me this time. <laughs> I got a plug in right there for you. I'm ready. All right. Take it away. What, what song are you going to do? Did you figure I, out? This is a, yeah, this is after a dream. I, I rarely play this one with a band. Um, I, it's supposed to be on an electric guitar, but uh, I really like the way it sounds acoustically too. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I'm gonna try this one. This is a, this is after a dream. Just how it feels And I was so close But too far away for hope As the sweat pours from every pore Thoughts crap back evermore Now the moon has come and gone Chased away by the sun Does she dream of me the same? 
Oh, am I the only one? I don't care about today. What will we dream tonight? And the day slips by Can't help but wonder why Does my mind feel so alone Until I close my eyes I see her clear as day We dream the night away Yeah, so something a little different. <laughs> I liked it. I like that kind of slow, dark vibe. Anytime you hit minor chord, I know it's always yeah. back that way. I actually did not realize how, uh, how, how dark that song sounded acoustically. Because when we played electric, um, there's more emphasis on that, that it's, a, it's supposed yeah. to be a D major. So it's... It always seemed happy to me, but that sounded really, really down. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I like those songs. Cool. I think a lot of songwriters do them because they're easier to play when you first start out because you're writing a song that's slow, so you're like, okay, I can do this song. And I, I have this conversation with a lot of songwriters because it's it's easier one, and you're playing it once you get the rhythm, but I, I like sad songs. I've always liked sad songs. Right. Sad, sad songs. I just love them. Hmm. I like happy ones too, but like, my, what, what's your favorite song? My favorite song. Hmm. It's pro- probably. It kind of. It kind of. It depends on my mood. Right now, it's Dogs. Okay. Pink Floyd. Oh, I think my dad. My my dad's favorite band was Pink Floyd. Mm. I never really got into Pink Floyd much, just because it took so long to get their music going. Because if you listen to their mm-hmm. tape, you know it's like they got all the sound effects and all these things going on. Right. And it's great music. It just takes time to get there. Yeah. And I just never had the patience to sit through it. Like I love Comfortably Numb. Oh, that's uh, another one of my favorites. One. That's my favorite Pink Floyd song. Yeah. But my dad would just always listen to them. Yeah, that that dogs and that album Animals is just is one of my one of my top 
albums and songs of all, all time. The song itself is 15 minutes of yeah, they got a lot just, long song. Just jamming, but it's uh yeah, that's that's one of them. that's one of them. I have a I have a handful, but see now and that, and that gets me into a point too is that I didn't realize that I started playing more and more is these jam bands like the Alma Brothers, Pink Floyd. It's great for them because if they can do one song for thirty minutes, they don't have to remember a whole lot of songs. They right. can sit there and just play and jam. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever if, if you ever heard the this um I was watching a documentary about Pink Floyd one time that uh when it when it was Sid Barrett's band back in the in the early sixties mm-hmm. or mid sixties, um, they were playing a couple of shows. They were they were trying to get booked at these shows and the venues were like, Well, we need you to play three hours or whatever and uh and they only knew a few songs. So the reason why they started that whole, mm-hmm. like it was, it was because they didn't have enough music. <laughs> they had to play these songs for so long to fill up that amount of time, I and then that just kind that. of became their thing, yeah. uh, which is really cool. It, it is cool because I mean, as, even as a band, like so we played the battery like last weekend, and we had to fill the spot. It's like okay, let's just make this, let's just stretch this song out another two minutes, right. and get the crowd involved, <laughs> and it, it goes again to, to showmanship too. Is playing as you're as you're playing music and. I know a lot of singers, a lot of guitarists, they get lost in their song and they're playing, they're doing their thing. But even if you're doing originals, like I said, you, you got to try to find a way to get the crowd involved. Yeah. And if you can do that by jamming and letting them sing or letting them be a part of it, I mean, that's that's kind of how you do it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, if if you can if you can hold someone's attention for ten minutes mm-hmm. on the same song, and it doesn't get boring or fatiguing. Then that's, yeah, that's impressive. That's, that's a trick too. I don't yeah. know if you can figure out how to do that. Like we did, "Stand by Me" for I don't know how long it lasted. It was like a forever long song, but it's because the crowd are singing. Like as long as they're singing, it's just gonna be laying. Bring yeah. more of the ladies up. Let them sing. Let them do their thing. Yeah, we uh, we tend to we tend to we'll, we will go on for longer than necessary on a lot of our stuff. But it's always I wouldn't do it if the crowd wasn't right there for it. Um, we yeah. But Cause they'll turn on a dime. It, it, I've seen it happen. You, you know when you've lost them. one or two yawns. Like, oh no! <laughs> you know when you lost them because they get louder than you are. Yeah, and that's hard to do if you're in a band. It's to get louder than the band. But when they get louder than you, yeah, you've lost them. Mm-hmm. Yep. Now you do a lot. We talked about this before, like covers and originals. What's your favorite cover that you do? My favorite cover. Um. Hmm. You know, I. Uh, I love playing. I don't know that I have a, a specific favorite cover. Uh, Pink Floyd, uh, uh, "Comfortably Numb" is one of them. Okay, um, I love to play that one. That that first solo, it, it's really it's, I, I, another point. But um, to answer your question, I don't know if I have just one favorite. I think it kind of depends on the night, how it's going. Um, I love playing any of my Steve Ray Vaughan stuff, but I. It's hard to choose. It well, really I have is. a better question. For when him. I play, I will say when I play with a band, um, when I play with a band for the longest time, Voodoo Joe was my favorite. Is that medley that we did the the Hey Joe and Voodoo Child medley? Yeah, uh, that was my favorite forever because um, that's a song. Every member of the band is featured. The drums and the and the bass specifically, there are specific parts right. of the song they're supposed to feature. And so that's it's so fun to play that one. We can we've hit that one for. 16 minutes before but um that one currently one of my favorites to play is i do a uh 
a medley, another medley, um, Sunshine of Your Love and Black Magic Woman. Oh, wow. Okay. And that one's a lot of fun, too, especially when you get in that, that the drum groove. Mm-hmm. The, and then that turns into a Latin beat at some point. And that's, yes. that's always how, how they pull that off. <laughs> Hats off to drummers who know how to how to change styles like that so quickly but it just it just works um that's that's one of my current favorites that we do see now you hit on something that i don't think a lot of artists do that they should do more of medleys Hmm. because it's always a crowd favorite if you're playing a song and you somehow slip into another song yeah oh where did that come from like we've been working on i've said before but stand uh stand by me and basket case okay so we we throw some green day in there with (laughs) Benny King, yeah, and it's it it's weird that it works, but you got you got to like slow basket case down, but it's still you can kind of change it, and it fits the the melodic structure of it fits right. And every time we would do it, it's like holy shit, that works. Yeah, oh, now we got to do that live. We we do a version of Crossroads, which we put on that that album, Good Blues Fast. Okay, um, we do a version of that that's in the right mood with. The, if we're in the right groove, that's one of my favorites. Usually, one of my favorites of the night because we we slow it down to this uh, this really funky. Okay. M- there's a the funky middle part in in the middle of the song, so we do it the cream way. Gotcha. For that first the first couple of verses and beginning of the guitar solo, and then. It's really slow, really fun. And if we hit it right, and and it just that transition is smooth and everything, that's one of my favorites when we go into that. Yeah. Um. But that's uh. That that yeah, that's on my album, Good Blues Fast. Now, is there a song um that you do that maybe people wouldn't think that you do? Like, do you take a weird, maybe a real weird pop song or a rap song and, and change it? No, but I do Three Doors Down Kryptonite okay. at least once a year, just to stay fresh. <laughs> we're going to hear play it, and like I said, I, like I do When Doves Cry. I'll do a Prince song, and mm-hmm. I can't play like Prince. I don't even pretend it, because he right. was great. He's another one of those that musicians, tree-wise. Yeah. Um, and so I always have fun with the audience at a bar. That's another way to get their attention is I offer a drink for the per- person who can guess the song before I get to the hook. Oh, cool. And nine out of ten times, they won't get it. Right. Because, I, I mean, I slow it way down. It does, and with my country voice, you're not thinking Prince. I'm, he's like the farthest thing <laughs> right. in my mind that's coming out of my mouth. And I just I love doing stuff like that because it's fun. Yeah. And it, it throws people for a loop. I need to. It's my... I, I've had a few people ask me. It, the funniest thing is when people ask for things that yeah. I shouldn't do, right? Like, Wagon wheel. I, oh my God, yeah. Um, Everybody that, listens to this podcast knows what I have to feel about Wagon yeah. Wheel. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, that from what it sounds like, that sort of seems it's in, at least in the same wheelhouse of your music, right? It I mean, is, it's but not, it's. I just I don't like it because it's well no they, they I mean, go by like the old they go by the Darius Rucker they, 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 they don't it's want not the Darius Rucker song right Me, yeah Madison show yeah I, I totally know what you mean but it it's it's hilarious to me when people come up to me asking me to do songs that like I get I totally understand I don't I don't play country music mm-hmm. and I sort of have a, a almost a, a strict rule against it just because. I, I, I want to really stay focused on the blues rock, classic rock. Right. So I have to be careful on what modern rock or what uh, v- deviations from that I do. So mm-hmm. um, like the, the heaviest, I have people sometimes ask me for like maybe Metallica or something that 
Black Sabbath a lot, you oh, know, wow. and it makes sense because some of the stuff that I do, like when I start creeping into Deep Purple territory, uh-huh. you can kind of see how okay, well, that kind of sounds like some of the lighter Black Sabbath stuff. Why don't you do that, or yeah. why don't you do Van Halen, or War Pigs, and and I don't want to do those things because I want to keep it in that blues rock. So I have to be careful about what I do outside of my blues rock genre, yeah. just because the more people ask me to do things I don't know how to do, the more disappointed they are when I say no. Right. And, um, Tennessee whiskey. I'm sure you get that. I get that one all the time, but I understand that one. I don't do country, but I understand Tennessee whiskey because promise. Um, I have been told many times, like people will ask me for Tennessee whiskey after I play promise. Mm -hmm. And so I, I get the relationship there. I get when people say, you know, could you do that? What I don't get is when people ask me to do like American Badass by Kid Rock, <laughs> or or Bullwittabot, or uh, like I've had people ask me the the strangest things, man. Um, I've had people ask me for like I get when people ask me for John Mayer. Yeah. Um, I I don't know I don't hear that people. What I was saying earlier is that I don't usually have people say you sound like you were influenced by John Mayer, but I do I do have people like they would request that at a show because it's it's not com- totally far-fetched for me to play. He played a lot of Steve Ray Vaughan and Jimi Hendrix stuff, so it makes sense, right? Um, what I don't get is when people ask for, like, uh, uh, what's that guy? What's the the guy with the hat? Um, oh, modern pop singer. I can't even think of his name now. Um I don't listen. To, I should probably listen more to pop. I got eleven-year-old twins. That listen yeah, to that I stuff. I don't listen to it. Oh, Town Road. No. <laughs> yeah. No. 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 The guy that should, did uh, that uptown stage. uptown funk. Oh, Bruno Mars. That guy. Yes. Yeah. That's. Yeah. I wouldn't. Have think, Why? Uh, yeah. That, what What have <laughs> I done that makes you think I could possibly do that? Like, if I play a Leonard Skinner song. I get why you might want me to play maybe Alabama or something like that. Yeah. I understand that. You know, that's it's a they're not the same, but it's similar. I get it's, it. Yeah. Don't ask me to do Bruno Mars. Bruno Mars is like, Don't. you know what you should do, though? You should do a Bruno Mars, but you need to change it. Right, right. You need to take that Uptown Funk and make it like some uh, heavy. But then they'll ask blues. me to do other stuff that I don't want to do. <laughs> people ask all the time. so And I get a lot of people, like when I'm playing at the bars, they want to come sing all the time. Oh, no. Yeah, that's the, the, that's the people listening to this podcast. Please do not ask to come up and sing a song. I just throw a karaoke track on the break. Like, there you go. Have at it. <laughs> go drink and then come back and I work you good to play. Unless unless you are unless you're invited, it's different, right? Yeah. Like when when I was telling when I Keith Williams, the whole reason I got even got into music is because he invited me to come and sing and play with him, right? That was that was that's a different case. Yes. If you don't know who you're gonna go see, <laughs> if you do not know the person that is playing please don't say, Hey, can I sing a song real quick? Mm -hmm. That's, I mean, it just doesn't, you know, if you're, if you're a musician friend, if you have a guitar, you bring your guitar. I absolutely, I have a friend who, who I, um, he, he's actually the son of Greg, the the drummer, but he, uh, he's been getting into playing guitar and stuff. And I was like, I love when he comes and plays. I'm like, yeah, absolutely. Come up and play. I'm, I'm cool with that. But if I don't know you and we have a very specific set that we're doing Mm -hmm. or something, it's the worst when people say, "Can I sing a song?" You right. know, um, but I, I agree with you, and I know you're trying to you want to give them a show, but I mean, it's your show; it's not their show. Right. And then half the time they get up there, you might be surprised that they may ask you to sing. Like, we, yeah, we oh, did the battery. We had a guy come up and sing. He did great. Another guy, the singer, he brought he brought another guy. The guy was drunk and was singing like a drunk. I was like, "Oh my lord!" So we were doing Badman Rising, and I'm like, "What the hell is he doing?" Yeah. 
Yeah, it's. It, I mean, open jams and open mics and those things absolutely go up and, right. and sing your heart out. That's what they're for, you know. But mm-hmm. if you're yeah, not a show. I don't think I, I'd ever go to see somebody that I don't actually know and say, "Hey, you mind if I sing a song?" Mm-hmm. That would just it just seems weird to me. But I mean, it is. It's <laughs> no, you're right. You're 100 percent right. But I mean, people, and I think a lot of what it is 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 we have dreams. Everybody chases the dreams that you're going after, and a lot of people are scared to chase their dreams. And I, t- I tell this all the time. But they see maybe an opportunity just to dabble their toe in it. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, well, let me try it. They're doing it. I'll do it. Maybe they'll let me sing. And, you know, no, nobody will care. And then it's just those same people that piss me off because they will give you shit about stuff that they're too afraid to do or they can't do. Like I had, and I've told this story before, I had a guy give my band crap for doing Tennessee whiskey and he's like that's not Chris Stapleton that's George Jones I'm like actually that's David Allen Cole but, <laughs> but thank you for for listening to it all. <laughs> yeah. and oh I mean we can't we can't leave out Etta James because oh. his version of Tennessee whiskey wouldn't be anything without Etta James right <laughs> see I didn't know Etta James even did it well she didn't do the song she, oh, she, she sang he put the music of uh, I'd rather go blind uh-huh. to George uh, not George um, yeah. uh, David Allen Coe's Tennessee whiskey. George Jones made George Jones charted David Allen Coe didn't. That's why right. people think George Jones. Um, but w- um, the original right. Tennessee whiskey. So the original Tennessee whiskey is a, is a folk country tune, mm-hmm. and Etta James is this soul blues thing. And and but but it's a different song. I'd rather go. But listen, I'd rather go blind. The, the music is is the same. Well, it's only two chords too. That's why I like playing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and that's the that's the other thing too. Why people always ask for uh, Tennessee whiskeys because my first two chords on Promise is the same key change. They're not the same chords. I think he plays a song in G or something. But yeah, anyway, it's, like, it's the same key change. Yeah. And uh, so I I get, I totally get when people would be like, maybe he would do Chris Stapleton because he's a pretty bluesy kind of mm. country guy. So I, I get it and I respect him and all that stuff. But for the most part, I don't really do country. I try and stay away right. from it, you know? Well, see, the problem with country now, and I mean, I know you don't do country and listen, but the, the problem with country now is it's so saturated and it's so over, there's so much overdrive in the music. It's it's more drum tracks and it's more overdrive and it's just not what they want to hear. Mm. So when they hear somebody like Chris Stapleton who is completely influenced by the blues, I mean he was still mm-hmm. driving stuff he did with the bluegrass. It's still bluesy kind of rock and roll. Mm-hmm. It's it's different for that genre. So everybody wants to they like it. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you can go to any bar in the world and they're going to ask you. It doesn't matter if you're in a Latin bar. Oh, it doesn't yeah. matter if you're in Midtown. It doesn't matter if you're in Chattanooga. They're still going to ask you for that song because it's again, it's music that just transcends everything. I mean, yeah. people love to listen to stuff, and he yeah. can sing anything. I've heard him do at last, and he killed it. Yeah, he's he's one of those. I'm, you know, I, I've, I've I've there was a there was a time. I think the last time that I I quote unquote liked country music was when I was in fifth grade, because the 90s? no fifth grade fifth grade would have been two thousand okay two thousand. Four? Okay, math is hard. <laughs> Something like that. I just, I just yeah. try to think. I don't remember how old I was in fifth okay. grade. But, but what I was, what I'm getting to is, I didn't know any other music besides mm-hmm. what was popular among my group of friends at school. And you're too young to actually go and look for music, right? Like you just, right. you only hear whatever's on the radio, what your friends are singing, and that sort of thing, right? Um, so I didn't know any music. And then my dad introduced me to uh, Leonard Skinner when I was in sixth grade, and then my entire world changed. Mm-hmm. And I was like, "Oh, so there there is other music." So, so what I, what I'm getting to is that I I've I just I've never really been a big country fan. Yeah. Besides when I didn't know there was anything else that existed, um, and 
uh, that's, it's one of those things that people, you know, I don't, I don't have anything against the genre. It's just not really my, what I like. I will say I do have a lot against, um, these, like these, uh, stadium bro country guys Mm -hmm. that sing about, you know, like the three topics of their song are trucks, girls shaking their butts and getting drunk. Mm-hmm. The, I mean, when there's, when there's no, when there's no, um, substance, substance yep. is, you know, it's, 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 I, I can't really back it. I can't say like, Oh yeah, that's fine. I, I just, I'm not going to say yeah. that. See. But Chris Stapleton Oh yeah, is a godsend to the genre, <laughs> and they won't even play them half the time. That's the, that's what amazes <laughs> me is you got this amazing country star, and you're not even going to play him on the yeah. damn radio because he's on. he's an amazing songwriter. And again, he's not somebody that I seek out and listen to. I right. won't, but I won't turn him off if he's on. He's right. he's he's somebody that I I have like I I have a lot of respect for uh, like the older the older country singers and stuff. Willie Nelson's an amazing songwriter. Um, Chris Christopherson's an amazing songwriter. Mm-hmm. Obviously, with with the amount of hits that he's had, but um, you know Waylon Jennings and these the old country guys that they their songwriting. Even if I don't really want to listen to them, I can absolutely one hundred one hundred percent respect the art that they right. create. It is it is that, and it you can tell even even their fun songs and even their their uh, less substantial songs mm-hmm. are written with heart, yes. you know, and you can you can feel it and you can hear it in what they do, even if it's about. Uh, Dolly Parton working nine to five. It's <laughs> it's a fun song. It's a light song, but what she does is true to. She's amazing, you know. And and, and so I totally get that. I'm behind it 100. percent But I, anything that I have heard over the past 20 years, besides these these new guys that are like Chris Stapleton and Sturgill Simpson, and these right. these ones who who are bringing back that writing with heart thing. Yep. And I know they exist. I'm making really really big generalizations oh, yeah. here. So I. I don't go about what's popular. Like I'm good. just saying, I, yeah, yeah, you know, I'm just yeah. saying what the general public seems to want to consume the most right. is something I just, I can't See, get behind. And, and that's, that's a point too goes into it is you would think that with all the backlash, like with what they're having is, and I've been a part of this conversation. There's a group of Tennessee called TSAI and they're trying to do like two different versions of country music. You know, they can, they say you can have the bros, you can have all the stuff that you want, but let's bring some traditional music back and have a radio station that, you know, she gives that for music because people want to hear it. They want those stories. They want that genuineness of mm-hmm. of a song that they can hear. Like the nine, yeah, it's fun nine to five, but it's it's relatable. Yeah. You know, the stuff about the the girl shaking her ass and all that stuff. It's relatable when you're like eighteen. And and I think that's who it's for. You know, I get I I I get why it exists, and I it's doing something. But I mean, I agree with you. I just court. you know. And I, I have to be really careful when I say things like this. And I, I totally understand the the seeming hypocrisy that comes out of my mouth here because I write, I mean, I'm a, I'm a blues writer mm-hmm. where I write three verses and each one of those verses repeats itself. So I'm really only writing a couple lines. <laughs> but the the point of the blues is to, for me anyway, is to, is to feel every note. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's more of a feeling than it is the actual substance that I'm writing. Yeah. And in my songwriting, and this is, this is years back that I'm, that I'm referring to, I'm referring to like my first album and stuff. And I'm, since then, I feel like my songwriting has really grown because I'm actually 
not just through my guitar, but also through my words, I'm trying to express a little bit better. Um, even if it's something fun or less substantial, it's right. still, I'm, I'm trying to write from a better place. So I, and I, so I really have to be careful when I say these things because anybody in the world can come up to me and say, well, yeah, but what about that song you wrote about going down to the river, right. <laughs> going downstream? There's, yep. I get it, but it's more the song itself is a, you know, see, and I agree because you grow as an artist, you grow as yeah. a songwriter. But that at that part of your life, that's what was going on. And people want to apologize for that. I'm like, look, you don't have to apologize for living your life. If you didn't hurt anybody, then what the hell does it matter? <laughs> you know, that's what you were going through. That's what you write. Like I write heathen songs. That's why I always tell people, you know, I've got I let Alan sing, he's got an angelic voice. And when I come on, I'm the heathen. I've got the heathen songs. I grew up in a biker family. My dad was a biker. I grew up around bikers. So the stuff that I know and I sing is going to reference that. Now, am I hurting anybody in the song? Am I hurting anybody afterwards? No. Now, well, does that mean that you're going to like my music? Like I said, I tell people some one night stand with a nun. Would I ever do that? God, no. Right. You know, please. My wife laughs at it. I'm married to, uh, when I met Diana, we've been married 12 years. She was a drill sergeant. And I tell everybody, I still make this joke. If I was to ever do anything on that woman, she would shoot me. She could shoot me from 300 yards and I wouldn't know it until the bullet hit me. So yeah. you Man. grow as a, as a person. Yeah. Stars, and I get and when, when I, when I write these things, when I say these things about the things that I write, everything that I wrote, I feel comes from a genuine place. Even mm -hmm. if it's, even if it sounds very, um, simple or whatever. Right. So, but, uh, I don't feel the genuine, I, and it, it's probably just cause in, in, again, this is a clarification that me personally it just doesn't resonate with right. so it might you know some girl shaking her butt on the back of a truck in the middle of the mud with right. whatever the song is about it might resonate with somebody in a very very different way than it does with yes. me but to me it just doesn't so so I, I try and be very careful when I say these things because when I express an opinion that strongly about something I'm passionate about right. it's really easy to come off as you know but um, even streams though Streams was inspired because my wife, my wife pretty much is my muse for everything that mm. I write, except for the bad things, obviously. But, <laughs> um, uh, but even streams is something as simple as streams, which is our opener at every show, um, is because my wife loves the water, whether it's a, a creek or a river right. or the ocean or a lake. Does it, it just she she loves the water? She wants to be near water. That's her. That is her happy place. And so when I wrote streams, it was one hundred percent about the two of us go into her happy place, wherever that is, you know, yeah. water and, you know, so it all comes from a genuine place. Yeah. And that, so I always try anything that I write, even if it sounds simple or dumb, it still is coming from somewhere right. with heart. At least I try to. And a songwriter, and, and again, as a songwriter, and I don't think a lot of people understand that is, you write about sometimes something you see, not necessarily something you're going through. Yeah, there's a lot of that, something too. something you see. Like, my wife has finally learned, like, because I write, if I write a sad song, she's like, aren't you happy? I'm like, it has nothing to do with that, I promise. It's just what I feel at the time, what I hear. Like, I wrote a song for her called Snuggle Bunny. It's about our life. It's about the kids and the dogs sleeping in a bed, and you just don't have any, you don't have anything anymore because it's your family, your responsibilities. Exactly. I also wrote a song called Bad For Me about a stripper. Doesn't mean I'm going to strip her in a house. I always tease her, though, and she's going to kill me. She hears this. She goes, I said, if you ever die on me, I'm getting a stripper to raise the kids. She said, you better not. I'll come and haunt your ass. <laughs> oh, man. Let's get you another song in here because, okay. I mean, we'll go on. I know we'll keep going. I don't mind the interview. Yeah, it doesn't no, matter this, me. This but, is great. Uh, so uh, what song do you think you want to do? Um, 
Yeah, I, I didn't like do. I mean, I like doing the acoustic, but I think it was a little slow. So I'm gonna do something a little more upbeat. Oh, absolutely. Time. That's that's your music, so you do that. This is uh, is it ready? Yeah. This is called um, "She's My Everything." New song off of the new album we recorded at Capricorn Studios down in Macon. Can't help sing about the way you make me feel. Can't help sing about the way you make me feel. Love's so good, darling, I can't tell what's real. Treats me better than a queen would treat a king. Treats me better than a Queen would treat a king I'm her all She's my everything Kisses sweeter than a sugar-coated dream Kisses sweeter than a sugar-coated dream I'm her all She's my everything Holding my arms late at night Well, it's so, so good It feels all so right Morning comes with the light it brings When the morning dew and the birds that sing I'm her all, she's my everything That movie Adventures and Babysitting. No, you gotta watch that. There's a part in it when you're playing, it just kept making me think of it. Like she's going through, uh, she goes to a blues bar, right? She's running from some people. Now, you gotta go to the 80s one, not the new one that they did. Okay, and uh, he goes, No one gets out of here without singing a blues. You gotta watch that movie. You okay. love blues, it's a good, it's a good part for the movie with it. People of my age, they've seen it, they know what I'm talking about. It's got Elizabeth Shue, okay, and um, I don't even know who else is in it now, but it's called Adventures and Babysitting. It's Adventures a great movie. All right. That is the remake, the the thing with Jonah Hill. Uh, I don't know. I okay. saw they made a remake, but I never watched it. 
because I got so tired of watching them take these '80s movies yeah, yeah. and remaking them. I was like, "Come on, come up with another idea." Yeah, I'm 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 not a fan of the remakes. Uh, these constant remakes of classic movies just don't. I don't get it, but yeah. they can't come up with them. And they're great. They're classic movies, and you know, it's just come on now. Whatever, that's fine. Tell everybody usual they can find you at. Let's get some of your uh, Well, uh, you can find me um, on my website, HughesTaylorMusic.com. Then I, I'm also on Facebook and Instagram, at TheHughesTaylor. I also have Twitter with the same handle, but I never use it. So, I, mean, I don't know how to use Twitter. <laughs> if you want to go follow me and get no updates from it, then go to <laughs> Twitter.com slash TheHughesTaylor. Uh, I, um, I have something called the Blues Crew, the Hughes Blues Crew. It's like a subscription-based okay. fan club sort of thing. Um, people who sign up, they get a lot of cool deals, actually. So you either sign up for 5 or $10 a month. And you can get um, a whole bunch of behind-the-scenes things. You get new demos. You get songs that I've been working on, uh, live recordings, and you get um, like videos of sh- certain shows and things like that. Uh, for instance, we just released a live album, Hughes Taylor Live in the UK, okay. um, 2020. And uh, the Hughes Blues crew had all of those songs as I finished them. So they, they had it almost nine months before we released it sort of thing like one of the first songs they had it so that's uh you know we, we just recorded an album at capricorn and i don't have a release date for that yet okay. but the blues crew will get uh all of the songs as i finish mixing them and stuff so they'll have first access to it and i said before i was telling you uh when you get it done if you come here do an album review We'll come play the album for everybody when it releases, and you can tell about tell about the songs. That's what I like—the stories of the songs. Yeah, you know, so like some of mine are not PG thirteen stories, but still, right. I like the stories behind the songs. So that's that's cool. Yeah. Now you did a—I want to ask you about that. You talk about the tour in the UK. How did that go? Yes, that was that was amazing. So we 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 toured for a month, uh, January twenty twenty, um, and just we covered pretty much the whole the whole. Uh, Scotland and England okay. uh, country. Um, we we played a total, I think, of nine shows in, during those three and a half weeks we were there. Uh, I think that that's right. But I lost my voice the very first night. Oh. <laughs> the very first show, at, we were playing at uh, the the rescue rooms in Nottingham. I lost my voice the first night on the song on Promise because that's my my most vocally challenging song. Okay, and it was loud. I couldn't hear the thing. I was so pumped up on adrenaline, and I just I went for it, and my voice just broke oh, in wow. the middle of that song. And for the rest of the night, it just kept getting worse and worse. And by the end of the night, I was at like a raspy, and I didn't really worry because I've lost my voice before, and it's just because of a rough day. It'll be back the next couple of days. I'll be fine. Yeah. That didn't happen. I lost <laughs> it, and it stayed gone until. I mean, I I did not have a singing voice until our third to the last show, and even then it was rough. Mm. Um, and then our last two shows, we played Glasgow, and then we ended with uh, The Robin. Those last two shows, I had enough of a voice. We, we kind of changed the key on some of our songs and things, okay. but... 
Um, I had enough of a voice to get through. And those are the two that we recorded those last two shows. So the whole album is just from those last two shows. I <laughs> uh, wanted it to be, you know, the best from all the things, but I didn't have a voice for the for, for right. seven of the shows, which is, uh, which is wild to think about because I made it, I made it through. I was fine. Like, I was doing this sort of muddy waters growl for uh, the two after that first night. Mm -hmm. So that first week, it was Thursday, Friday, Saturday. We played Nottingham, London, Bristol, and I. By the time we got to Bristol, I was. I mean, I was at a whisper, and I was like whispering into the mic, getting as close as I could, and they turned me all the way up. And so it was just in the like right before we went on during sound check, I had already tuned everything a half step down. Because that usually helps alleviate some of that pressure, right? Um, already did that for the London show. We got to we got to Bristol, and I said, Nate, I'm gonna have to do something else. So during sound check, I kind of messed around a little bit. We ended up changing the key on half the songs up a few steps so that I could sing an entire octave lower okay. and just kind of mumble into the mic and go. <laughs> and um, man, that was uh, you know props to Nate for not missing a beat, you know, mm -hmm. playing bass and accommodating me but uh, and then adriana also was a huge help she lost her voice after the third show but um uh she fortunately was able to pick up a lot of that load she sang mm -hmm. she sings with me she's an amazing singer so she sings with me on a lot of stuff but she kind of ended up just taking the chorus on a handful like just one night and right. a couple of those she ended up just singing the chorus because i couldn't i could I mean I was nothing was coming out, so that was that was rough. We had and I to, I didn't know. Um, we had a guy who was, uh, with a uh, a uh, like a, rock magazine, who was reviewing the concert for Heather, who we were opening for. Okay, and he reviewed us too. Oh wow! And was uh, it the first one or toward the end? It was well, no, it was the first three. He came to the first oh, three, okay. and, um. In the in the in the article he said or in the review he said uh, you know his um, talked about how how good of a performance we put on which I was so grateful it's like oh yes he liked it and then he said <laughs> one of the sentences said his voice is not as strong as his guitar playing and I was like because I didn't have a voice I'll take it I'm I'm okay with that but that was that was rough so anyway um, we had about a week before from from the show before the glasgow show to the glasgow show mm -hmm. so my voice improved a little bit and then we had six days between the glasgow show and the last show so it the the dates got further and further apart I th something like that so by the time we got to the last two shows i was i was pretty strong but it was um it was wild but besides that it was awesome the reception was great the the people the the people they uh, how much they love live music over there is just awesome yeah. it's one of those things you know here i'm so used to you invite people out to your show and they say yeah i'll come and it's more like a 30 percent chance if nothing yeah. else comes up they might show up right? right if they have to pay to get in it's a little different unless you put your name their name on the thing <laughs> more than yeah. likely they're probably not going to come right that's right. just this is the way it is and now now again this is a really broad generalization because i know i have people who will go to every show no matter what, because they're, they just, it's that much for them. And that's awesome. Those people are who keep us alive. Right. Yes. Um, but it was interesting because in the UK, every single person, we played a couple of shows. We played two shows that were not a part of the actual tour. Mm -hmm. We did some pickup gigs, uh, in York and, um, we were playing these bar shows. 
every person who was like, oh my God, you guys are awesome. Where are you playing next? And we told them were there without, yeah. I mean, they dropped everything to go see live music and, and talking with the band, Heather's band and everything. That's, that's sort of just the way live music is over there is if right. there's anybody that's into at least even a little bit, they're going to go see that band again mm-hmm. as soon as they can. Like it, it's just a really is different here. They'll go as long as it's not inconvenient. Right. Yeah. Um, and that's a culture thing too. I mean, that's just like Nashville. They'll they'll bar hop. You know, that's yeah. that's one of those things too. Because I met a for the countdown. We have a lot. I have a lot of UK people. I have a lot of uh, I have some Ireland people come in. And Claire Cunningham, she's a, she used to be in a band called Thunder Mother. Mm-hmm. It's like an all female rock band. And same thing, they go everywhere. And it's people just it's crazy how how much people just like you said will show up and love yeah. the music. And they're right front too. Mm-hmm. Uh, in any of the shows we played over there, before we started playing, as they as soon as the door was open, it's like ten guys right at the front of the stage, mm-hmm. as as close as they could possibly get. I never see that here, unless you're unless I go to like a huge show, like if, I mean if, you know, Joe Bonamassa, if I go see Joe Bonamassa or something, he's got his fan club that's like right up front. But yeah. for the most part, people, if you go to somewhere like if you go to the Masquerade, people are gonna start in the back and or- then. And you'll get a handful of the people that that'll be up front, but for the most part, people kind of stay back before, and then they'll start. Once the music starts, they'll start dancing and getting into that stuff. But I mean, every show in the UK, and it might just be also it might just be Heather's fan base, right? Because um, that's who was mostly coming to see us. We were opening for her, but uh, they, I mean, were just as close as they possibly could get, and that was awesome. Because I, I, I'm not used to that. Um, but I'm also not used to playing big venues. I'm used to playing like the biggest venue over here that we've played. Uh, we played the Masquerade a couple times. We played um, like Smithville Bar. We've done a few really big things, but they were one-off events right. for something. So we had like a, a a captive crowd. But we're not. I mean, we're not really at the at the level that we're selling out yeah. big venues, you know. Um, but so it might just be that I'm not used to that. But whenever I go and see a show, it certainly doesn't seem like the people there are that, yeah. you know. Most of the people around here are all musicians, so you invite musicians to shows, and yeah. they, they want to come, but they got gigs. Well, yeah, that, that's true, you know. So, yeah, but getting I know what you mean, getting the actual fan base to come. You want the fans, too, that also show up to the to thing. They buy your merch, yeah. or they buy your CD, or they buy a ticket just to come here and you play. You know, that's, that's where a lot of the problem, and it may be just now because... Well, it was before COVID too, but COVID made it right. even worse. COVID made it really just completely made it worse. But I, you know, when I say these things, the, again, these are really broad generalizations. Yeah. This is just the the difference that I noticed between the the average bar goers in the UK versus the average bar goers right. here. They were like, without any hesitation, there for the full three hours that the right. music was being like they, there was nothing else that they wanted to do which was really cool i'm not used to seeing that but um i do have people like that here so i i really don't want to don't really want to um uh well, i can't think of the word right now but um yeah i know, I know what you mean because you know, I, I think it's also the 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 like i said again the 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 scene the music scene of it like if you go to atlanta where most bands play it's a lot more atlanta's more of a pop-based rap-based city mm. yeah you'll get rock and roll and you'll get stuff like that but Every time I've ever seen anything UK over there, it's always seemed to be more, more rock driven. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you get a different yeah kind of crowd. rock and blues too. That that, that could right. be it. We were, that was a big part of it. But. Yeah, 
it's a strong fan base. Once you get in that fan base, it's yeah. like blues is it doesn't get as much attention as a lot of other genres, but yeah, yeah. it's it's something that everybody knows and something everybody loves. Because everybody gets the blues. Oh yeah, you know, it's a it's a matchstick blues, it's the dog walking blues, whatever the blues mm-hmm. are, you can relate to it. And it's just something that no matter even though like they're the same chord progressions and you're doing the twelve bar blues. It doesn't matter because you're singing a whole different story on top of it. Yeah. And people will go like, oh, I, I love that. I, I can feel that. And, you know, the, the one of the reasons why it's always appealed to me is because every every part of it is an expression mm-hmm. of something going on in your mind. Like, it's, you know, so you, it doesn't matter what two blues people, they could, they could play the exact same song in the exact same key, but they're going to be feeling something a little different. Mm-hmm. So you can... And every time I play the same song, it's gonna it's a little different because yeah. of how I'm feeling that day, you know. Yeah. And uh, but that's why that's why I love the blues, you know. It's just it's a really cool way to express anything, you know. Well, I want to thank you for coming on here. It's just been fun. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for letting me ramble. And no, no problem. <laughs> I can I can, you can ramble for another hour if you want to. I'm, I have no problem. I just know it's getting a little chilly in here. I see you zipping up. Now, for you guys don't know, we're actually in the studio. Normally, I do the gazebo. Hughes is actually the first person I've led into the studio. It's not done by no means. I've got half the insulation up. I don't have the, <laughs> the ceiling part done yet, I, but I do got electricity. I've got a little kerosene heater, which I should have, I probably should have lit, but it wasn't, it wasn't cold when we came in here. Um, and I plan to do more. So I, I appreciate when you yeah, coming this, up. This, this was stuff. great. Thank you. I, I, I hope I, uh, wasn't boring. As no, I, I mean, we, it's, we've been going for two it. hours and doesn't feel like, Oh it. my gosh. Wow. Right. So wow. Yeah. yeah you like, probably have to cut a lot of this then, aren't you? No, I'll edit some, but it won't be bad. Okay, I've had some worse interviews. Trust me, that oh, I've well, had to edit down. I'm to, glad like, I'm not your worst interview. That's my goal. No. Anytime I talk with anybody, I just don't want to be their worst conversation. <laughs> no, you, you can't be the worst. Worst conversation I ever had is probably with my ex-wife. So, you're, ah. so everybody's good. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so cool. I'm gonna let you go here and say it, mm-hmm. but I always ask a question. But first, tell everybody where they can find you. All your social media. Yeah. Again, um, my social media, uh, Facebook and Instagram and Twitter, if you don't want updates, is at uh, the Hughes Taylor, uh, and then. Fa- um, Facebook is probably probably the best way because I make an event for every venue, so okay. that's probably the best of the three. I do stuff on Instagram as well. Uh, and then HughesTaylorMusic.com is the most guaranteed way to see what's okay. going on in the world of Hughes Taylor Music. So, yeah. um, And then, you know, I, I want to plug real quick my live album Absolutely. that we've been talking about, uh, Hughes Taylor Live in the UK 2020. Um, it was... Uh, it was an awesome tour and an awesome show. So um, you can hear the last two shows that we performed. Uh, you yep. can find it wherever you like to listen to music, along with the rest of my stuff, Spotify, iTunes, Apple Music, Google Play. Yeah. We also have Pandora and iHeartRadio um, and anything else that I missed. Uh, Napster is still around, in case you were wondering. Yeah, and I see that. Like, I use like, DistroKid, and I see Napster. Our music like, is on there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, don't know how to get that. I'm afraid to go to Napster. I'm I, afraid I'm going to get a virus. <laughs> I was looking at, uh, I was looking at my, um, my royalty uh, thing for taxes and stuff. I was looking at my royalty where, where all my royalties came from, and I actually had a a pretty penny from Napster, and I was like, oh, okay. I'm glad to know they're still doing stuff, and that I'm getting paid. See, now that's the thing you touch on before we go. I'm glad you said that. Um, tell everybody that may not know how are you get because because a lot of people I don't think understand that if your songs, if your originals, they're supposed to pay you for these venues that you're going to right. because your songs, but they got to be on a PRO, right? Yes. So you have to. So tell everybody real quick about that how. How you got your set up so they know you're getting paid because a lot of people they play their original music and it's great. Open mics are different; they don't count. But if you're playing at a bar in a gig, they're supposed to 
send their little check off to BMI or ASCAP yes. or whoever you have. I know CSAC, you got to be invited, so it's usually ASCAP or right. BMI. Um, so they had to send the songs and checklists, so you're, you'll get, you know, pennies a dollar, whatever you're, whatever they pay, they'll, mm-hmm. they'll divide it up. I don't know how they do that part, but let everybody know how they do that. Uh, well, I'm, I, I'm not really sure. Did you go through like CD Baby or something for your oh oh I got gotcha. for your so, PRO at BMI? Are you registered? Right? I see what you're saying. Yeah, no, I, I am registered. I'm actually registered under two publishing uh, companies. I my, for my first uh, first album was um, Hear My Melody. That was all through CD Baby. Okay, and they kind of doing that process showed me the ropes, and then I decided I could do it myself from there so i actually set up my own llc and all this stuff so uh, i registered directly with bmi okay and uh under tailored publishing which is kind of cool because tailored yeah but um that's uh that's yeah it's it's actually really helpful and you can you can report your own performances um i don't know if you that that i didn't know yeah if so bmi has this uh, a neat feature which is why i like bmi i don't think ascap does this but you can go to uh on your account, your your publishing rights and all that stuff, mm-hmm. um, there is, should be a there's a tab that's BMI Live, and you can actually put in your own performances, and you can uh, put in your entire set list of the songs that you you did. Now, I mean, right? Obviously, you have to do you have to report the ones that you played. You can't say what you did other stuff too. But um, yeah. uh, it's really it's a really cool way to it helps me out a lot each quarter because yeah, a lot of times. The venues don't actually report it. No, and so. even if they they do, they don't know what song you're playing. Right. They don't know your original song. Exactly. I've so. only had one venue actually ask me what I was playing. Yeah. That's you know, so you, that's something that that's a good piece of advice for them because that way you get paid on your original songs. Exactly. Again, it's not going to be a lot. You're not going to retire unless you you sell it and you, or you are on radio and mm-hmm. which people says a dead art. I tell you what, to get on the radio though, people still want to do it and that's how you're going to get your money. But it's more sync stuff and things like that. that's a whole different podcast. That's a that's a completely different story. Yeah. We can go for hours on that. That's a, that's that's stuff that people need to know. But that's we'll do that another time. Yeah. <laughs> we'll get yeah. into that before. Please do um, yourself a favor and do your own research too. Yeah. Figure out how to how to do it yourself. I actually started the Bent Note, which is my uh, I'm, I'm doing air quotes record label, yeah. um, which you know everybody has their own. But uh, I I started the Bent Note so that I could help other people if they wanted, mm-hmm. if they wanted me to help navigate all that stuff. Sign up. I for may ask you to help you with that. Let I'd, me help me. With I'd that be happy to. I mean, I got um, yes, ma'am. Music is what I put mine under. Okay. But I know that I don't pay attention to all the little details, which I probably should. I know I do. So yeah, we'll talk about that stuff as cool. well too. So uh, I'm on. I got another question for All you. Right. This is, if you listen to podcasts, you know what's coming. You gotta tell me your hidden talent. My hidden talent. Got a hidden talent. I actually have a superpower. Oh, what is that? I can open any jar. Or unscrew any screw top. Okay. That is my that is my hidden talent. I'm in the garage. Superpower. I'm thinking, do I have anything that I know is welded shut? Oh <laughs> uh, well. <laughs> now that's cheating. But I don't if, do video. If I did video, I'd get you. Gotcha. Wait, if uh, no, that's my that's I I discovered this talent in high school, um, and I have yet to find something that has been impossible for me to open. So that's my that's my that's talent. Your, there you go. Yeah, um, my, my my you know my wife always needs me to open the pickle jar or whatever. But makes you look manly too. She, when you she, open yeah, it. yeah. She's been trying to find things that I can't open, and and I don't feel like I talked about her enough this podcast. What's your wife's name? Make sure next time. Her name's Evie. Evie. And she is the inspiration behind all of my love songs and other songs, but not the sad songs <laughs> that are about 
heartbreak and stuff. So right. I want to make sure that's clear. Yes. <laughs> now she knows you've been married for how long? I mean, we've been we're going on three years. Three years. Yeah. Okay. So and she knows by now that the sad songs wasn't about her, so not to worry. Right. Yeah. yeah. My wife learned that too. And she gets mad at me for waking up at three o'clock in the morning because I get a song idea in my head. It's like, oh, quit playing the guitar. It's three o'clock in the morning. There's no way you to be quiet. You have to get it down. On acoustic. You have to get it down. Yes. But thank yep. you again. Thanks. Thanks for coming on. This was fun. Right, everybody, this was the Georgia Songbirds. That was Hughes Taylor.
so much. That's called Just One Night. I'm going to slow it down a little bit, play some blues for you, if that's okay. I'm going to do a song I wrote called Hold You Tight, and I uh, hope you guys enjoy this one. 